Hello and welcome to the Of Interest podcast. I'm Dan Brunskill and today we're talking trade. Last week, while the National Party was putting the final touches on its coalition agreement, the European Union ratified its free trade agreement with New Zealand. That was the latest in a series of 14 agreements that New Zealand has struck since the 1980s. But could it be the last? Today we're speaking with John Bellingall, a partner and economist at Sense Partners. He's written a paper which argues it's time for New Zealand to create a new trade strategy that focuses less on striking trade deals and more on smoothing out our existing trade links. John, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Dan. Great to be here. Before we get into it, um, I understand you are something of a rugby referee, and I read quite an interesting spreadsheet you made about the Rugby World Cup final and the various controversial calls that were made. So let me just, let's get the important thing out of the way first. Did... Did the ref get it right, or was New Zealand robbed? Um, I think it would be a bit tough to say that New Zealand was robbed. There, there were a couple of decisions that perhaps didn't quite go New Zealand's way, um, but ultimately South Africa played better, executed their game plan, um, and I, I don't think it's quite right to, to lay the blame at the, the feet of the referees. Okay, so we need to we need to eat humble pie and concede defeat. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of that on Twitter, to be fair, but I think uh, it might be a good next step as we all heal. <laughs> okay, okay, well, um, let's talk about trade. Can, can you start by just painting for us in the broadest of brush strokes the past 30 years of trade and where that has got us to today? Sure. Well, New Zealand has, has um, always been very active in trying to sell more of its goods and services overseas and to try and get other countries to remove their their barriers on New Zealand's exports. And so for the past 30 years, we've been really successful in signing a bunch of free trade agreements. I think we're up to 16 now. Um, And those trade agreements cover around 80% of our goods exports. So we've done a really good job in that. Um, But we've now done all of the low-hanging fruit. We've done some of the medium-hanging fruit. And what's left is, is really tough stuff. So the motivation for my paper was to start thinking about, well, where do we go over the next 30 years? Mm -hmm. So it seems like your paper argues that the strategy we've had since the 90s was a success, but it's kind of put itself out of the job, and now we need a new strategy. Is is that kind of the way you're thinking about it? I think that's a really good way of looking at it. We've been very successful um, over several decades. Um, And now, you know, if we look across our major trading partners with whom we might want a free trade agreement... Mm -hmm. The only ones really standing out are the US, mm-hmm. India, and perhaps some of the, the, the Gulf countries as well. And none of those are easy to sign a free trade agreement with. Mm. So both National and Labour heading into the election campaign put India top of the agenda. They said they'd go there in the first 100 days and try to get the ball rolling. You think it's hard. What makes, what makes a deal with India and, and other countries for that matter? What, what makes it so hard? There's two main reasons um, why signing a free trade agreement with the US and and India in particular um, is going to be very, very difficult. Uh, First of all is domestic politics in both of those countries is really not amenable uh, to to welcoming a whole lot of additional exports from New Zealand, especially in primary products. Um, And then the second one is that Uh, In recent years, so we did the CPTPP and the EU free trade agreement. In both of those agreements, we agreed to an outcome which wasn't particularly brilliant for most dairy products and uh, most beef products. So 
those two free trade agreements have set a precedent now mm -hmm. that New Zealand is willing to sign up to an agreement, which is pretty good everywhere else. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of positives in those agreements. Um, but that we will agree to something that doesn't cover all of our key export interests. So uh, negotiators in, in Delhi and, and Washington will have seen that and will look at that precedent and go, well, if New Zealand can sign a free trade agreement with the EU without a huge amount of additional dairy access, then that's our starting point as well. Wow, okay. So even if we were to manage a free trade agreement with the US or India, it's highly unlikely that it would cover uh, a, a vast chunk of our dairy and some of our beef interests as well. Right. I, the, the EU Parliament, uh, I think they approved the New Zealand deals over the last 24 hours or so. Mm. Um, I feel like it was talked up as being quite a good deal, but it, it sounds like you're saying we've kind of played our hand um, and sort of conceded something that we won't be able to win back in future trade deals. Is that kind of what you're saying? Overall, the, the EU free trade agreement w was a really good deal. Okay. In, in many ways, it was groundbreaking, particularly in terms of um, uh, the relationship between trade policy and climate policy. Um, certain aspects of that agreement were genuinely world-leading. Um, but it is also true that we didn't manage to get as much access to the EU market as we'd have liked mm. in dairy products and uh, beef in particular. Um, so it's good for the economy as a whole, it's good for most exporters, but it wasn't ideal for, for some of our primary produce exporters. And, and the fact is, once you've, you've told the rest of the world that you're prepared to you know, take the deal that's on offer, not your ideal outcome, then that becomes the precedent, almost the starting point for your, for your next set of negotiations. Yeah. Um, so look, I, I think getting a free trade agreement with the EU in any form was an amazing outcome. Yeah. Um, I, I would have given it zero chance about 10 years ago. Really? Um, so like, I, I think it was a really good outcome, but, but the fact of the matter is it has set a precedent now mm. and that makes getting comprehensive trade agreements that cover all of our export interests much more difficult. Yeah, and do you, do you think New Zealand made that concession to not have so much primary in it, knowing that future trade deals would not just sort of sitting there waiting to be taken? Because um, perhaps if, if, a, if, a, if a deal with India was, was nearing the finish line, we might not have made that concession? Yeah, that, that, that would have been part of it. Mm. Um, you know, it is a fact that our free trade agreements cover over 80% of our exports now. Um, and you know, trying to get a deal with the US and India, it's not going to happen in the short term. Um, so the, the, the burning platform had, had slightly dropped a, away somewhat. Mm. Uh, that would have been an incredibly difficult decision. Officials would have been saying, ministers, or the prime minister, I think in this case, you need to be aware that if we sign this agreement, um, that has some consequences yeah. for our future negotiations. So that would have absolutely been part of the, the thinking when they, they sought to close the deal. And it's part of your thinking in the paper as well that not only are these deals going to be hard to get, future trade deals, bilateral ones, but they're also less lucrative because of that. And, and that's part of your thinking and why we should focus away from these one-on-one -on -one country deals and into more multilateral, more other sort of efficiencies. Talk about, you know, because to, to a New Zealander reading the paper, you sign a free trade deal and that's how you get more trade. Mm -hmm. what, what else can we do when you say let's shift our attention elsewhere? What, what is elsewhere? Yeah, so what, what I'm arguing in the, the paper is, is that 
you know, if we go back 30 years, the, the main barriers on New Zealand's exports were tariffs, taxes at the borders. Um, through our free trade agreements and through um, rounds of multilateral liberalisation, tariffs now are much, much lower on average uh, than they used to be 10, 20, 30 years ago. So, so the extent to which our trade is, is chilled through tariffs is much, much lower. They're just not as big a deal now as they used to be. Now, that, that's not true for all products in all, all um, countries, but it is true on average. And that means that perhaps we need to start thinking about other factors that um, slow down our export growth and, and the ease with which we import as well. So I'm recommending in the paper that we focus much more on transaction costs along supply chains, which sounds very wonkish and, and jargony. What, what I'm meaning is that um, tariffs are just a, a, a cost at a certain point in the supply chain. Mm -hmm. But we also know there are significant costs from transport, from logistics, from paperwork, from customs, um, from meeting investment requirements in countries, meeting uh, digital rules. All of these things add up and impose costs on New Zealand exporters. Mm -hmm. And all, all that does is reduce our competitiveness relative to, to other countries. So my focus now is, is thinking about transaction costs as a whole and thinking about how can we um, work with other countries to try and strip as many of those transaction costs out as possible making trade easier to do, hopefully improving profitability for New Zealand exporters. And you don't need a free trade agreement to do that? that that's right. I mean, some of these um, costs, such as, as non-tariff measures, uh, digital rules, are being addressed in, in some of our traditional trade agreements. Uh, but what I'm saying now is partly because of the difficulties uh, involved in signing up new bilateral trade agreements, mm -hmm. um, is perhaps we start thinking in a different way. If we decide, for example, and, and often if you speak to industry, this is the case, the non-tariff measures, um, more jargon, which, which uh, I, I can explain shortly, um, are the biggest things imposing costs on you and stopping you from exporting more, then let's narrow in on those. Let's see if we can work with officials in other countries um, to try and improve the efficiency with which these non-tariff barriers yeah. or measures are, are imposed on New Zealand exports. Can you unpack for us what a non-tariff barrier is and maybe pluck out one that you know of that you think could be fixed? Yeah, so, so non-tariff uh, measures uh, cover a, a whole range of um, regulatory and, and policy uh, measures uh, that are imposed by other countries, often to... Um, ensure the safety of their products, so things like food safety mm -hmm. or product safety in terms of you know, electronics, making sure they don't explode when you plug them in. Um, they can also be around animal health, um, plant health, certification. There's a whole range of, um, they're, they're basically administrative barriers um, or measures that are put in place um, that they all are supposed to have valid policy objectives. You can't argue with trying to encourage food safety. Um, but the reality is they all impose costs. Mm -hmm. So what I'm suggesting is that we don't have to try and get rid of all of these non-tariff measures because they are in place often for legitimate mm -hmm. reasons. Um, and you can't ask another country to you know, remove their safety standards. Yeah. But what I'm saying is 
can we do those tests more efficiently? Yeah. Can we do more using um, you know, e-commerce and digital trade to try and reduce those costs? So one estimate that we came up with was that non-tariff measures impose costs of around 12 billion on New Zealand's export sector. That's about 10 times as high as, as the costs imposed by tariffs. Wow. So that gives you a sense um, of perhaps where our thinking might be directed mm. in the next 20 years if we're to try and reduce costs for our exporters. Wow, so, so non-tariffs, non-taxes, non-levies, those, those are imposing 10 times more costs on exporters than tariffs are, which was kind of the original evil. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Now, these things are really hard to um, measure and, and estimate um, how, how costly they are, but we, we, we had a crack and, and 12 billion was the, the number that we came up with. Um, and the difficult thing is that these costs are not easy to see. You know, they, they don't appear on your, your invoice uh, or, or your balance sheet as a cost item. They're, they're almost the, just the costs of doing business, what you have to do to get your products into another market. Yeah. But they are costs nonetheless. Um, and if, if regulatory agencies could, could get together, perhaps a group of quite um, you know, ambitious, like-minded regulatory a- agencies um, who we trade a lot with, you know, can we get together and just identify, are some of these measures even needed? Mm-hmm. You know, are they just legacy measures that have been there for 30 years and no one knows why? Can we get rid of them? Can we use them more effectively or efficiently? Um, and all of these things just at the margin, just make it slightly easier to trade. And really, I think that's where we're headed in terms of our trade policy now. It's not, not the big, chunky tariffs. It's all these little niggly costs that all add up yeah. along a supply chain. And if we can take 1%, 2%, 3% off those costs, that should result in in uh, New Zealand getting better margins for its exports. Right. And if your estimate is correct and it is roughly 10 times bigger mm. than tariffs, then that's obviously where the focus should be. And, and I guess that's why you're arguing the, the, the focus needs to shift. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. Now, you know, that, that number could be out by, by quite a lot. Yeah. But the, the point is, it's a big number. Mm. So, you know, we, we are starting to see a, a shift in the way that, you know, officials and businesses are thinking about their priorities now. And yeah, my, my advice to, to officials um, since we released this paper, uh, and to be fair, I've been banging on about this for ages, um, is, is that there does need to be a real shift in emphasis. Um, but that's not easy. We've been doing trade policy through free trade agreements and regional trade agreements um, in more or less the same way for 30 odd years. Mm getting agencies to shift their thinking and move away from what's familiar and, and comfortable to something which is a bit looser and harder to define, but I would argue much more important for our um, export interests, mm-hmm. it is a real challenge. And I, I don't suggest it's an easy thing to do at all, but I don't think there are any easy wins out there anymore. It's all stuff at the margin. It's all stuff that's really hard, but I think we need to see it in the long term and we need to try it a few things not all these things might work, but let, let's give it a go and focus on what really matters to businesses. Mm-hmm. And, and when you've had those talks with officials, regardless of how hard it is to turn a big mm-hmm. ship, do they seem open to it and keen on the idea, or how have they received it? I, I, I've been really, really pleased with, with how it's been received. So I, I've spoken to, to the MFAT um, Trade and Economic Group, 
Um, I've spoken to MPI negotiators who do a lot of work around non-tariff measures in agriculture in particular. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've spoken to people at MB who do a lot of work around the tariff schedule and rules of origin and standards. I've spoken to Treasury, or sorry, I will be speaking to to Treasury next week. Um, There's actually been a really, really positive response. I think there's a a general consensus, and, and officials might disagree with me here, that our trade policy does need to start changing. Exactly how it might change, how quickly and in what direction. I think every agency has a different view on that. Um, And so that's why I wrote this paper is, let's agree that there is a need for change first. And if we can get broad agreement across that from officials, businesses and and ministers, then perhaps we start putting in some processes to to start reshaping our trade policy for the next 20 years. Yeah, I'm really keen to dive into what the uh, new government should do. But before we get there, there were, there were two, I think, quite striking ideas in your... There are lots of striking ideas in your book, <laughs> but there are two that jumped out to me. Mm. One is that we should more or less decline any expressions of interest in a bilateral fair trade agreement, unless it comes from the US, India, or the Gulf countries. So basically, if someone knocks on our door and says, how are you feeling, we should say, not that interested. Yeah, so that that's been um, fairly controversial with with a few businesses and, and <laughs> officials. Imagine. To be say, uh, to be fair, what what I'm suggesting is that outside of the you know, US, India, and, and GCC in particular, we should only agree to a, a bilateral free trade agreement if a country comes to us and says, right, we want to do this in six months. Mm-hmm. We're not going to argue about this forever. We're going to um, not try and exclude dairy or meat or onions or whatever, you know, it, it's a comprehensive deal. We'll sign up to your most agree, uh, ambitious type agreement um, and let's just get it done. If they want to do that, happy days. Okay. Because that's uh, you know, a resource efficient way of doing it. It's not going to soak up our negotiators for years and years right. and years. But I don't think there are many of those countries out there anymore. Okay. Um, my, my suggestion is that the best way to get new market access, so um, you know, reduced tariffs and, and other trade barriers in new markets would be through an expansion of the CPTPP, mm-hmm. which is uh, you know, pretty, pretty popular right now in, in the trade world. There's, there's a whole bunch of countries lining up to try and accede to it. Mm-hmm. Um, including China, right? Including China, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, and, and Taiwan and... Um, Costa Rica and Ecuador, and there's a whole bunch of countries, some of whom we don't have trade agreements with. Now, my suggestion would be, if they want to accede to CPTPP, there's already an agreement there. Mm-hmm. Um, they know the standards they need to meet. They know um, what our export interests are. Um, and there's an accession process there. So my suggestion would be, let's use that process Excuse me. To to generate new market access, um, unless a country comes to us saying they're willing to do all the things okay. we want very quickly. So it's not that we should turn down a pre-cooked trade deal. It's just that we shouldn't sink years and and years of resources into negotiating one that's, with, a, with a, a country we don't need one with. That, that's like exactly right. I mean, we, we shouldn't be cutting off our nose to to spite our face. Um, and there are you know, diplomatic factors as well at play that that we need to be aware of too. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm saying is, uh, from my perspective, um, I would want that, that country to be coming with a, an ambitious approach. Yep. Um, 
you know, something that's going to be very high standard, easy to negotiate. Otherwise, we can just say, look, um, thanks very much. Here are some other options. You, know, you might want to look at CPTPP or we'll just try and deepen our relationship in a different way. Is there any chance of the United States or India signing up to um, CPTPP? We need to work on that name. It's not easy, is it? It's not, it's not an easy one. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a, a whole other podcast, which I'm right. sure your listeners would be delighted to, to delve into. We could do a sequel. We could do a sequel. I'm sure there'll is be the massive, massive, yes no? massive demand. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep it very short. Uh, the answer is no, no in, okay. in the short term, at least. Um, the, the US political environment uh, around trade at the moment mm-hmm. is so toxic. Um, you know, and that was shown last week when the um, Indo-Pacific Economic Framework for Prosperity um, uh, Agreement that touched on trade issues, mm-hmm. nothing to do with tariffs, yeah. no new market access. That was pulled by the US well, because yeah. they, they got spooked. Yeah. Uh, well, certain, certain Democrats wanting to get re-elected got spooked. Mm-hmm. Um, so the domestic political um, environment around trade is just horrible in the USA. It's not going to happen in the short time at all. Um, India, well, we we, we nearly had India in in the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, or RCEP. Um, It was there for 15 rounds, I think, in negotiating rounds. And then it got spooked as well. Its domestic constituencies got very concerned about signing a trade agreement with China, and it pulled out there. yeah, the chances of India joining uh, CPTPP for me is n- next to zero. Right. Um, it's it's just not a country that is is at the moment very keen on trade liberalisation. The other idea that jumped out at me in your paper was that New Zealand should unilaterally ditch its remaining inward tariffs. Just whatever mm. we've got, they're not really a good negotiating tool anymore. We should just ditch them all. Talk more about that. Yeah. So so. Um, a lot of people don't even know we, we have tariffs mm. on, on imports. Uh, we, we do. They've been de- decreasing through our free trade agreements. Yeah. Um, so we still have tariffs on things like um, whiteware, car parts, furniture, uh, clothing, things like that. Uh, so this is only on, uh, uh, imposed on imports from countries with whom we don't have a trade agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the US, India, those sort of countries. Uh, my argument would be we don't need those tariffs now for further trade negotiations, in my view. They're so low that, that they're almost meaningless. They don't, um, they don't really protect New Zealand businesses. They generate only $175 million of revenue. Uh, they impose a whole lot of costs on uh, businesses and consumers who are importing. And my view would be, look, if, if we're not going to be signing more bilateral trade agreements, for which having those tariffs is quite useful as uh, cards to negotiate with, then why are we imposing this additional cost on it on ourselves? So my view would be, um, it's certainly time to do a, a proper study. Um, into the costs and benefits of, of retaining those tariffs, and, and that hasn't really been done for 15 years. Right. So that's just an opportunity, since they're not offering us that much negotiating leverage, to just lower costs a little bit for consumers in New Zealand buying imported goods. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. Look, it, it's not not going to um, you know, drastically reduce the cost of living. Let, let's be honest. But at the same time, um, just because the costs they impose are not that high, is not really a very good reason to keep yeah. them. If if they're just sitting there and they're never really going to be used as negotiating coin, mm-hmm. my view would be let's get rid of them. And again, let's be honest. If, if the US wants to sign a free trade agreement with New Zealand. It's not because they want to get very slightly improved access to a, a market of five million people at the arse end of the world. Right. Right. Yeah. They want other things. They want they want better access to our investment um, environment. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to want services. They're going to want um, rules around intellectual property and all, all these sort of things. Nothing to do with tariffs. Yeah. So I, I think any country wanting to sign a trade agreement with New Zealand now is not doing it to get. Um, their products into New Zealand at, at lower cost. Okay. It's not the commercial driver. We're not big enough mm-hmm. um, things to matter anymore. So my view would be: let's have a really close look at it. Um, you know, do the economic modelling, make the arguments, um, and, and see where we get to. Yeah. Okay. As we speak, um, the the final I's and T's are being dotted in the coalition agreement, or so I understand it, but it hasn't hasn't been signed. Probably by the time listeners listen to this, it, it will have been. Mm. The incoming national government with its coalition partners, how do you think they are looking at trade, and um, how does it compare, I guess, to your paper? Well, if you um, look at the, the national, um, national party's trade document, mm-hmm. um, it, it's very traditional. You know, it, 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 it talks about free trade agreements and obviously India's been the one that's talked about the most. Um, it does also talk about non-tariff measures and the importance of those. So I, I think there will be a willingness to, to explore doing things in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, all trade ministers love the opportunity to close a free trade agreement because it leads to a nice photo and a shaky hands thing and... Um, you know, press releases, and it looks really, really great politically. Mm-hmm. And I'm suggesting that those opportunities probably aren't going to come around very often anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it will require a, um, a, a different approach from our trade minister, whoever that might be, mm-hmm. um, to take a slightly longer-term perspective. Yeah. And, and I recognise that um, politically that's that's a harder thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's where the biggest bang for our trade policy buck is going to come. I was thinking that just because they haven't been out on the campaign trail talking about reducing non-tariff barriers um, doesn't necessarily mean they're not thinking about it in the back of their heads. I think, I'm not sure how it goes down at a, at a, at a community meeting if you say, there are no more free trade deals to sign. <laughs> we must get more into the detail. Yeah. Um, so I guess you know you might, you might say one thing on the campaign trail while knowing um, there are other priorities as well. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Um, yeah, no, no one ever got elected talking about sanitary and phytosanitary measures and reducing those very slightly. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, if it's Todd McClay, mm-hmm. which which is my current expectation, he's been there before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he knows the officials. He knows these issues pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think officials and businesses and, and researchers should be able to have a really informed discussion with him um, <clears throat> about about what these priorities might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm pretty confident he'd be open to that, and I'm sure that businesses will be 
you know, raising some of these issues with him too um, as they start to engage with him as well. But is there a fear in the back of your head that they are going to be dead set on this India deal and they're going to take every resource they have, they're going to throw it at it for three years, six years, I don't know how long a trade deal takes, and then nothing will come of it? Uh, that <coughs> Well, the, you know, they, they have uh, gone pretty hard on India. Mm. Um, I think they know it's going to be incredibly difficult. But I am encouraged by discussions I've had with, with officials in, in recent weeks and months that, um, you know, that there are potentially creative solutions to, to India, uh, but it does need to be a, a long-term play. Mm-hmm. We can't just go in there and, and expect a, a traditional comprehensive free trade agreement that includes all of our interests. I think we have to manage expectations back a little bit from that. Yeah. Um, so I'm certainly not suggesting we, we don't invest uh, diplomatic and negotiating resource in India. I think that's an essential prerequisite for getting a deal eventually. And at some point, we might be in the right place at the right time with the right political environment in India um, that a deal becomes a viable option, as it did with China perhaps. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think we just have to be realistic about it. It's not going to happen quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not look quite like a traditional trade agreement. Right. Yeah, it, it, it might have to be a little bit more like the Australian agreement um, with India, which would upset my dairy industry friends. But yeah, th- there are creative ways of trying to get a trade deal mm-hmm. Um that would benefit lots of parts of the economy, lots of parts of the economy, um, that might not look perfect for everyone. And I think we're going to have to be really creative and play all the cards we have in our hand, including on things like uh, visas or, um, I I don't know, digital trade or whatever it might be. Yeah. So keep the door open for India, but don't throw every resource you have at it because it might be a dead end. Yeah, that, that's a really good summary of it. We, we, we've got to try. Um, you know, it, it, it's too big to be ignored. We've underinvested in it in the past, mm-hmm. and we need to lift our engagement. Um, but we have to manage our own expectations, I think, about how quickly it might lead to um, a trade agreement and be prepared to be patient. Yeah, okay. Uh, in the coalition is New Zealand first. They have previously wanted a free trade deal with Russia. Um, I'm guessing that's not on the table anymore. Uh, not right now, no. We, we got very, very close okay. to to that deal. Right. It was very close to being um, announced, as I understand. Really? Yeah, yeah. Russia, Belarus and Kazakhstan, um, which have traditionally been important markets for, for some of our primary products in particular. Right now, obviously, that's that's off the table. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's very much um, on ice. Um, I can't imagine New Zealand First will be pushing that too hard um, while around. while the war is on. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, I, I I can't see us having a whole lot of discussions ab- about that. Mm. But there but there is there is the negotiated deal sitting there. Were there were were conditions to change, regime change, whatever it was. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realise it got quite so close. Yeah, that's that's my understanding. Um, so look, there, there is a, um, certainly the outline of a deal there, mm. uh, but you know, a lot of water has gone under uh, the, the bridge since then. Yeah. Uh, whether or not it will ever be politically acceptable in New Zealand to be seeking a trade deal with with, with Russia, 
Surely um, we'd never have stronger negotiating leverage, though. We could get a real plum deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll look. I'll look forward to uh, someone making that argument. Uh, but yes, not so not right now. But again. it won't be you making that pitch. Okay, I, let's I think say, I'll hold fire on that one. Yeah. Let's Ooh. say you do. Um, the trade minister says mm. I've been sworn in. John, can you run upstairs and quickly give me a give me a, a couple of sentences telling me what I should do in the new job? What would you say to the minister? Uh, I I would say speak to businesses first mm-hmm. before you start developing your own strategy your own trade strategy, which might have been informed by the last time you you were in government, go and speak to our key exporters, and not just our primary exporters, those in manufacturing and our services exporters. Find out what's on their mind. Find out what are the things that make um, doing business internationally difficult. And I I would expect that that would generate a whole bunch of answers that might be quite different to what that minister would be expecting. Another idea, which I didn't put in my paper, but I, I've since been reflecting on, would be perhaps if the new minister wants to, to stamp his, his mark on the future of New Zealand's trade policy, then perhaps it's time to um, uh, ask officials a- across the various trade-related agencies in New Zealand, so MFAT, MPI, MB, um, a, a whole range of them, um, get them together perhaps form a, a Future of Trade Strategy Commission or something equally clunkily titled and, and say, right, get back to us in six months with your suggestions for what a trade strategy should look like for the next 20 years. And um, again, it would be interesting to see what that came out with and, and how similar it looked like uh, to, to what we've had in the past. I suspect it would look a bit different mm-hmm. and it might just be a way of of the new minister um, being able to, to, to grab trade policy and, and make it really relevant for the next two decades rather than being about things that we worried about two decades ago. Mm. There's always a risk with fighting the, the previous war. Absolutely, absolutely. So look, I, I think the time is, is ripe for, for a new trade strategy and I know officials have been thinking hard about this uh, across government. Mm. There's, there'll be no shortage of ideas out there um, f- from our officials and from businesses and from researchers. The, the challenge now is to harness them all and see if you can get a bit of consensus going. Um, and and you know, perhaps if that can happen over the ex- next year or two, then um, uh, yeah, th- that'll situate New Zealand really well for, for what is a pretty challenging global trading environment right now um, and, and try and future-proof our trade policy uh, for the next 20 years. Okay. John, thank you for coming on and talking to us, sir. I really, really, really appreciate it. No worries. Absolutely. My pleasure. Cool. Cut it there.